to Books and Beyond with your host, Alison. Join us for half an hour of information, entertainment, reading recommendations and beyond. Brought to you by Auckland Libraries. I know this girl and she works in a library, yeah, standing there behind the counter, willing to help with all the problems that I encounter. Helps me find Hemingway, helps me find Genet, helps me find Brett, helps me find Chandler, helps me find James Joyce, she always makes the right. No my haere mai, kia ora, and welcome to our Books and Beyond Literary Lounge with Alison and Inika. Kia ora, Inika. Kia ora, Alison. Well, today's show is a memoir special. Look, I love reading about other people's lives, their, their struggles and their triumphs. Even the most ordinary lives can be really fascinating. They really can. And it's been a wonderful year for memoirs too, especially if you're nosy and curious like we are. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Well, we're going to kick it off with one that I've just finished reading literally this morning, and it's called All of This, a memoir of death and desire by US author Rebecca Wolf, um, published in 2022. So a bit of background to set the scene. Um, a US writer and blogger, Rebecca Wolf, met and fell madly in love with her musician producer boyfriend, Hal, in 2005, when she was just 23, and he was seven years older, 30. Now, after just four months together, she fell pregnant. They did have a big decision to make, um, uh, and they were quite a wild child, both of them, um, but they decided that they would elope. They got married in Vegas on a whim, and they had their firstborn son um, that same year that they had got together. That was then followed by another daughter and then twin girls before Rebecca was even 30 years old. Now, Rebecca's a creative California cool girl slash earth mother. Mm -hmm. She has a beautiful family and um, she began blogging. She'd been writing for many years since she was a teenager, um, starting at the Chicken Soup for the Soul Mm -hmm. series that you might Mm -hmm. remember. Um, And she began her blog called Girls Gone Child, which was beautifully written and photographed, taking advantage of all her talents. Um, It was a blog that was very honest about the messiness and the struggles of young motherhood, but she always managed to capture those moments of magic that we sometimes miss. Now, she was writing that first wave of mummy bloggers in the uh, mid-2000s. It's a horrible term, Mm -hmm. that mommy blogger. Um, And her blog was really, really successful. It led to her becoming the main bridge one of the family and she actually released her first book and mem- um, memoir Rockabye from Wild to Child in 2008 off the back of it. Now we jump forward in the book to 2016. Her husband Hal gets a severe pain in his gut and he's rushed to the emergency room. He's diagnosed with aggressive and what turns out to be terminal prostate cancer. Now, almost immediately, Hal's symptoms go into overdrive. He's actually hospitalised and uh, virtually incapacitated just a few days after his diagnosis, which is a massive earthquake and shockwave Mm. through his families and his friends. Now, Rebecca drops everything to become his full-time carer. She pulls in the troops of family and friends to help take care of the kids. But Hal dies in her arms just four months Mm. after his diagnosis at the age of 44. And Rebecca's left reeling, a widow at 37 and mother of four young children. Oh, boy. Yeah. It's crazy. 
So this book covers this shocking unraveling of their family life. Um, it covers their history together before they were married, during their marriage, and then Rebecca's life after Hal's death. But behind the happy family photographs that she was publishing to the world, in this book she reveals that their marriage was just absolutely tumultuous from the very get-go, as you know, young love and young parenthood often is. When Hal falls ill, she reveals that they had been living in the same house but essentially separated for at least two years. The dark truth of life within um, their marriage is unrolled. Hal has always been very resentment of her career success. He has a fiery temper. He controls their finances. And there's other dark details revealed of their intimate relationship. Um, so probably a trigger warning there for, um, yeah, so, some abuse. Um, she's also really a lot honest, though, about how this contributes um, to her loneliness within the marriage and how she then seeks solace and sometimes sex um, outside of their marriage. Now, the year Hal dies in 2016 is pivotal for in the US. It's the year Trump is elected and, of course, the Me Too movement um, rises strongly into the mainstream. And this leads to a massive feminist awakening for Rebecca. She's sort of um, prompted, this big life change prompts her to reflect on that life of always being um, the cool girl. And for that, for her, that meant being a guy's girl. She was never really someone who had a lot of female friends. Um, her ideas around women as carers and nurturers had kind of led her into this, this marriage where she was caring and nurturing for her children and her husband, but st it kept her chained within this sometimes abusive and very lonely marriage well past its use by dates. Hell's death um, sees her vow to change her life for her daughters moving forward, and it becomes the rebirth of Rebecca. While she's still grieving the loss of her father of her children, she decides it's time that she started living on her own terms. She's without the husband that she'd loved, but she had also often hated him. She creates a dating profile within a couple of months of his death, and her profile um, byline reads, recently widowed and down to F. Dating after death um, is done in secret at first, um, and it leads her to a new world of sexual and personal fulfillment, to a network of women who are doing it differently, and to whole new ways of living and loving. So this this book memoir really rips off um, uh, the band-aid of a you know what would often be considered a really taboo subject: um, life after death, life after um, having a long-term partner what actually happens in a marriage and um, and how uh, dating and being a single mum, especially so soon after um, a death or a divorce. Mm. Yeah. Now, I've followed um, Rebecca Wolf's blog for years, so this was a really personal read. I mm. feel like I've known her for so long. Um, her firstborn was born the same year as mine, and I kind of got onto her blog at that same time. So for me, this was a very powerful read. I think there's enough in the book that if you haven't read her background before, um, you will get a really strong indicator of the sort of person she is. And um, and she is one of these writers who is extremely honest, but this, blog, this memoir just blows... I thought she was honest in her blog. This book just blows that wide open. Wow. So if these sort of topics um, resonate with you and you're interested to learn about a woman who's doing it absolutely differently and living absolutely on her own terms while also remaining um, a totally dedicated mother and a really strong advocate for her family and for um, 
at the strengths that Hal brought to the relationship um, and her husband brought, then I think this is the book for you. Wow, it sounds amazing. Talk about powerful. Really, really really powerful. powerful. Well, gee, it's a bit hard to um, segue into our next book um, from that. But I suppose speaking of authenticity, um, both you and I are just reading Straight Up by Ruby Tui, um, just published. So, And this one's available um, in our non-fiction biographies and also as an Overdrive e-book. So you need to get in the queue for this one because it's amazing. Now, um, look, I'm halfway through the book and I'm just being blown away by Ruby Tui's honesty and authenticity in telling her story. Um, This is an open, raw and honest account of her journey from a troubled childhood and searching for a better option in life. Um, she went to um, Olympic and Commonwealth Games, um, won medals there. She um, became the world's best rugby sevens player and she's been a vital part of the Rugby World Cup winning Black Ferns team. So it's been really hard to know where to start in reviewing this book because Ruby is just so freaking phenomenal. <laughs> and now, Inika, you and I were both at Rugby Cup, uh, Rugby World Cup final at Eden Park a couple of weeks ago. I did look for you in the crowd, but couldn't see you. I think it's because perhaps um, there were forty-two and a half thousand other supporters there as well. Yeah, it could well be. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, I love this quote from Ruby in the book. She says, "It's just life, man. It's just life. The hard and horrible parts are part of your story, and you can't change that. But the struggle becomes a huge part of why you do good things too." Yes, absolutely. I mean, Ruby is another person who has really gone into the um, the nitty-gritty of her, her growing up, her childhood. Um, and I loved the way that she explained um, some of the, you know, details of um, of what it's like to be an elite sports person. Um, I found the insights into how different coaches and approaches had contributed so crucially to building and breaking their team of elite athletes. Um, and just that how that shared culture is built was just so fascinating. In the book, Ruby details some of those brutal training regimes that the team underwent under various coaches. There's um, hours of training in the heat of Fiji. Um, there's times when they were sent out to uh, army boot camps in the Waioru Desert in the winter, you know, to dig, dig holes to sleep in. Uh, and it's just crazy, actually. Oh, it sounds cruel. <laughs> it, it did. It did yeah. sound cruel, I have to say. Um, what it did was, um, as I say, is sometimes it built the team and sometimes it broke them. Mm. Um, she also shares just um, all those times when the coach has been coached, uh, sorry, team has been coached and managed with Kaupapa Māori at its heart and with Tanga front of mind and how just to how instrumental that's been to her team um, and to her own personal and professional growth over the years. And you can absolutely see the results when you see those mm. wins on the field in the Rugby World Cup that we've been so lucky to see. I mean, I really came away from this book with a picture of Ruby as equal parts, tough and tender. She's done so much work off the field um, that's revealed in the book to support her own well-being and how she um, holds compassion and care for the people in her life, even those who haven't always made it easy. She had a really rough childhood um, with, uh, yeah, parents who were struggling and um, was put into some really quite dangerous situations as a child and young teenager. And the way that she has um, sort of used those 
those lessons and the way that yeah the things that have happened to her to strengthen her her resolve and her motivation is just yeah. amazing and her care for others absolutely too. yeah I really liked um, her anecdote about sports shoes this really struck a chord with me because as a youngster uh, Ruby played netball at a very high level and she actually dreamed of becoming a silver fern one day but she often played in bare feet because there was no money for netball shoes um, and contrasting to this, when she went to rugby practice without having her own rugby boots, someone would always offer to lend her their own boots. So she never had to take to the rugby field in bare feet. And I thought this explained a whole lot about the difference between the cultures of women's rugby and other women's sports. Mm-hmm. It was a really powerful story. It was, and it's just one of many in this book. Um, absolutely, it's one of those books that will strike a chord with. I, ca- I can't actually imagine it not striking a chord with any reader, to be honest. Mm. So this is an absolute winner, just like Ruby herself. Um, if you're interested in finding out more about the Black Form Ferns, you can check out another brand new book, 2022, called Seven's, Seven's Sisters, How a People First Culture Turned Silver into Gold. And that's by Ricky Swannell, and you can find it in our collection. Yeah, oh, that's that's great, and it's wonderful to see these things being written. It's great. Now, speaking of powerful women, um, I've got another one which I've been absolutely enjoyed um, 100%. So this is a New Zealand book as well. It's called Vital Signs, Heartbreaking, Sometimes Hilarious Stories of a Junior Doctor's First Year. And it's by Dr Izzy Lomax-Sawyers, just published, and it's available in our hard copy biographies and also as an overdrive e-book. So, look, if you're a fan, and I know you are, Inika, of the TV series like Grey's Anatomy, Scrubs, House, or This Is Going to Hurt, you will love Izzy Lomax-Sawyer's account of her time at Middlemore Hospital in South Auckland, where she worked as a first-year doctor after graduating from Otago University with her MBCHB. Now, talk about better work stories. Her tales range from the harrowing to the comedic, and with a dose of... um, I don't know, farce, I guess, <laughs> infused via an IV line. Now, if you've ever wondered what it'd be like to be a junior doctor, and I know I have quite often, then this is the book for you. So we join Dr Lomax Sawyers as she starts her time at Middlemore in psychiatry, and then she moves on from there to orthopaedics. Now, she navigates an absolutely overwhelming workload and a phone that never stops ringing. She hardly ever gets lunch let alone bathroom breaks. This is going to test your bladder just reading this book, I tell you. And she seems to exist on nothing but strong coffee. Now, we get an insight into the just that inordinate amount of knowledge that medical staff have to consume and provide on a daily basis. We learn medical jargon, the abbreviations, and the names of medicine. And um, we really feel immersed in, into the science and art and chaos of medicine. So Izzy learns a, a huge amount and she grows into her house officer responsibility as she works through the ups and downs of the first year at, at a major hospital. And um, this first year includes working in the epicentre of our COVID outbreak. Mm. So, you know, a first year is, would be difficult enough as it is, but throw COVID in, man, it would be a doozy, wouldn't Crazy. it? 
So, and she learns to observe patients to figure out the best way to treat them when she's in psychiatry. And she learns um, a, a trauma-informed approach to her work. And in orthopaedics, she grows in her confidence, but really retains a sense of awe at how orthopaedic surgeons can give patients both quantity and quality of life. So whether it's a broken mind, a broken hip or a blood test, Izzy's ready to join the work of the teams who just get in there and get their hands dirty. And she addresses life in the pages of the chapters, how COVID affected the hospitals both inside and out, and how illness can really affect and change people. Sometimes when you walk through through the doors of a hospital, you're going to come out quite a different person. Mm. Now she writes with a sense of humanity about the, you know, the heartbreak and the uncertainty of every day. She speaks from the heart and she shows a view of humans that really makes you appreciate the doctors who help us. I'm, and I am super grateful to the people who go through that hard mahi and train to be doctors. As, as Izzy says, most doctors have given up their entire 20s so that they can study and work in order to provide care for the rest of us in our times of need. Mm. And it's hard, hard, mostly thankless work, but the wins make it worth it, usually. So um, vital signs, it really just reminds us so much that we really only have one life and how we use it is, is basically up to us. Mm. So I really enjoyed this one. So it sounds like a wonderful book. And there's a couple of books that have come out recently which are similar to this book or that you might also like to check out. Um, the Unexpected Patient is a New Zealand um, memoir by Dr. Hamali McInnes, and it was published in 2021. You'll find that in our New Zealand nonfiction. And also, if you are do if you loved This Is Going to Her by Adam Kay, then you'll definitely want to check out Undoctored, the story of a medic who ran out of patience, which is the 2022 brand new release by him. Um, it does have a bit of a cue, so get in it now. And um, I would also add to this, um, it's fiction, but um, based on fact, and it's by our own the wonderful Dr. Eileen Merriman, and it's called The Silence of Snow, and it's about young doctors in their first years. So it's, it's an amazing one. Oh, yeah, that's a beautiful book too. We're so lucky, aren't we, to have yes. <laughs> different ones to, uh, to put forward for you. Well, my next book, um, I have it listed here as a halfway through review, but I've actually finished it now. And it's The Instant by Amy Liptrot, um, published in 2022, and it's another memoir. Now, this is Scottish journalist and author Amy Liptrop's second memoir in six years. Her first, The Outrun, saw her returning home to the island of Orkney in the Scottish, um, off the Scottish coast um, after 10 years of hard drinking and spiralling hedonism in London. Now, in The Outrun, she reflected on how reconnecting with earth, sea and sky helped her to recover and heal from alcohol addiction and childhood trauma. So in the follow-up, The Instant, Amy is now in her 30s and she's very solid in her sobriety. She's still on Orkney. The moon is her constant companion. But after a few years of that solitary island life, she's feeling really lonely and in need of something new. She says in the book, I had the skeleton of a good life, but there was no heart inside. So 
to change that up, she moves to Berlin in October, where the rents are a third of the price of that in London, and the best time to be there is always five years ago, everyone <laughs> tells you. Isn't that always the way? (laughs) She joins a host of other digital natives for whom, and this is a quote from the book, the only language you learn is to ask for a coffee and the Mm Wi-Fi password. Having moved 20 times in the last 10 years, she realises that now the internet is her most stable home. She explores East and West Berlin. She starts taking intensive language classes. She patches together freelance and factory work and she dances soberly, probably the only one, mm. at world-famous techno nightclub, Birkane. Amy's thirst for the natural world continues in the city. She buys binoculars to track goshawks who are hunting urban wildlife. She swims in the city's lakes, and she explores the parks of Berlin after dark. She's a brave woman. Mm. She meets refugees who are um, selling on the streets and working illegally to support families back home, and she scrolls and swipes on online dating apps, but like Rebecca. Everyone in Berlin seems to always have a project on, and Amy's is to find a raccoon and also a lover. Now, the lover arrives with the summer, so five months into her stay. There's instant attraction. He is German, he's eager, enthusiastic, and he's already imagining their babies just a few weeks into the relationship. Now, Amy, too, falls hard. She's prime for it. They kiss on traffic islands around the city. They have a quickie against the tree while she's tramping in the woods with him, heading to a campground. And they start plans to visit her parents. Is he the one that she's been waiting for? Now, this is part intensely personal memoir, part nature writing, part travelogue. So I think it will tick a lot of people's boxes. Reading the Instant has been a real pleasure. If you like the writing style of Jenny Offal, Rachel Cusk and Sheila Hetty, then you'll feel right at home with Amy Liptrot's books. Um, She reflects with timely insight on the concepts of home and away in the context of a world that's increasingly experienced online. She talks about how the connections with family, friends and strangers, whether they're through a screen or pressed up close and sweaty, in cities and with the natural world, can help us to discover who we are right now, who we're growing up to be and where we stand. So The Instant by Amy Liptrop, you'll find this, uh, Liptrop, sorry, is available in paperback, it's on Libby and Overdrive as an e-book, and it's on um, Borrowbox as an e-audio book as well. That sounds amazing. I'm going to um, try and get hold of a copy of that, Seneca. Thanks so much. I, yeah, and I love reading about places like Berlin. So now, speaking of Berlin, um, our last book today that we're going to talk about, this is a great one. Uh, It's set in Berlin, and it's called Tales from the Fatherland, Two Dads, One Adoption, and the Meaning of Parenthood. And it's written by the author, Ben Ferguson, uh, just published 2022, and it's available in hard copy only at this stage, but watch the space. We'll see what happens there. Now, our writer, um, the Englishman Ben Ferguson, he's an award-winning novelist and translator, and he and his German husband, Tom, live in Berlin with their young son, Theo. So um, going back uh, four or five years, after the introduction of uh, marriage equality in Germany in 2018, Ben and Tom became one of the first same-sex married couples to adopt in that country. So in the book, Tales from the Fatherland, Ben Ferguson reflects on his long journey to fatherhood and the social changes that enabled it. 
He uses his outsider status as both a gay father and a parent adopting in a foreign country to explore the history and the sociology of fatherhood and motherhood around the world and queer parenting and adoption and ultimately the meaning of family and love. So now, this book was um, more academic than, than I was expecting it to be. I thought it was going to be anecdote and stories about making an adoption plan and parenting as a gay couple. But the history and sociology and extensive notes and bibliography made it a, a fuller read than I originally thought it would be. But I learned so much from this book. So, but it's not a completely dry read. There's plenty of humour and horror to be found as Ben and Tom go through the adoption process, that application process, um, become parents to a four-week-old bubba and then become sleep-deprived zombies in those first few winter months and then venture out into the community when spring arrives. Now, you'd know this, Seneca, the first six months with a new baby are often the hardest, and Ben says that he and Tom were just completely knackered all the time. He said, we forgot sentences we had begun. We, we were regularly startled out of gormless daydreams in the middle of rooms. We napped on chairs, the sofa and the floor. Hmm. And they would repeat almost ritualistically things like, imagine doing this as a sole parent. Imagine doing this throbbing with hormones. Imagine doing this after our bellies had swollen up our over the last nine months and we'd pushed a baby out from a very small part of our body which was now wrecked and bleeding. <laughs> they couldn't even imagine being parents after having just had a C-section, you know, where you'd wake up after major abdominal surgery and someone hands you a baby and says, okay, good luck. <laughs> you know? So there are really, there's some great lines and, you know, I loved their thinking with this. But, you know, I get the feeling that Ben and Tom have always respected and admired women, but this respect grows as they go down the parenting path themselves and see how much women do as mothers in our heteronormative culture. I was gobsmacked when I read some of the anecdotes about being out and about as a family of, you know, consisting of two dads and a baby. And quite often just one dad and a baby. So complete strangers would come up and say things to Ben like, oh, so it's mum's day off, is it, today? Or mum's having a sleep in, is she? And this would really upset Ben. Mm -hmm. um, and then if a stranger realised that it clocked them as being gay men, they might ask a question like, oh, so how did you get this baby? You know, as, and they're not the sort of things we would ask straight couples, would we? It's quite interesting. Um, you know, and so as a, um, a, a reader, you... I've sort of lost what I'm saying, but um, you've got to feel this othering that, that Ben and, and Tom are experiencing um, all the time, and it's cringe-inducing. Mm. I think that cringe-inducing made me sort of forget what I was saying. <laughs> um, so, and um, 
other sort of questions that didn't offend them so much. Curiously, um, when if a stranger realised that Ben and Tom were gay, they might say things like, do you think your baby's going to grow up to have girlfriends or boyfriends? To which they would always answer, well, who knows, but either would be fine. And um, that never that sort of question about will your child be gay never offended them as much as, oh, so mum's having a sleep in, mm-hmm. <laughs> is she? So this is just um, an incredibly insightful book about parenthood, sexuality, identity and culture. It's um, definitely been written with both parents and non-parents in mind and also the straight and the rainbow communities. So Tales from the Fatherland, oh, gee, I enjoyed this book. It makes an impassioned case for the value of diversity in family life. And it argues that diverse families are good for all families and that misogyny lies at the heart of many of the struggles of straight and queer families alike. It's such an interesting point, especially when you link it back to um, Rebecca Wolf's book, All of This. Yes, absolutely. I can see so many links between the books we've talked about today, Alison. Um, remember, uh, real listeners, that you can always go to our um, to our show notes to find out details of how you can request these books, and we can always, as well, add in um, details of books that that are similar to this that you can read as well on similar topics. So, and if you are ever browsing on the library, you can look for uh, biographies and memoirs in the nine twenties of our nonfiction sections. So that's just a little tip for you there. Thanks for that hot tip, Annika. Well, look, thanks for for listening today, folks. Um, Thanks for tuning in. So take care, happy reading, and be kind to yourselves. Haere rā, ka kite ano. Libraries. Find us online at aucklandlibraries.govt.nz and catch the program next Sunday at 9.35pm on 104.6 FM or anytime online at planetaudio.org.nz slash books and beyond. Every day.